Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Now, compassion. This is one of the things that we've talked about in this podcast a bunch of times. This idea that you show caring for people as human beings. At least that's going to be my definition of compassion. We may change that before the end of the show. So we know that that's a secret ingredient for leadership. Without that sense of being cared for, people are not going to be at their best. But there are a couple of things that happen that undercut our ability to always demonstrate the compassion we might like to demonstrate as leaders. One of those is drama. And you know exactly what I mean. Drama, drama, big time drama, capital D drama. And the second one is conflict. Some people are comfortable with conflict. Some people are not very comfortable with conflict. But I find when those twin teams start edging into that really difficult to debate where there are disagreements, it's not easy to wrap it up, that leaders start to shut down the conversation. So the question for today is how do we hold compassion in the appropriate balance with accountability, conflict, and even in the face of drama? So that's what we're going to figure out. So stay tuned. We're going to get this one solved, give you all the advice that you need on how to navigate this. My guest today is Nate Regeer. Nate is the CEO and founding owner of Next Element Consulting, which is a global leadership firm dedicated to bringing compassion to the workplace. Now, he's a former practicing psychologist and an expert in social emotional intelligence. For those who are not clued into that, social emotional means not just understanding my own emotional intelligence, but understanding how the social dynamics play out. A piece of emotional intelligence, but more than that. Also a specialist in interpersonal communication and leadership, and he's recognized as a top 100 keynote speaker. He's the author of three books, Beyond Drama, Transcending Energy Vampires, Don't We All Need That? (laughs) And two, Conflict Without Casualty, a field guide for leading with compassion and accountability, and a brand new book, Seeing People Through Unleash Your Leadership Potential with a Process Communication Model. Um, He has a regular podcast as well called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. So, Nate, welcome to the show. Thank you, Wanda. It's wonderful to be here. Really looking forward to this. I am looking forward to it, too, because these are words we don't often say out loud on leadership shows, drama. Like, we don't even admit that it goes on, but I'm keen to talk about it and to figure out what we do about it, how we play into it and play out of it. Before I get there, though, because we're going to concentrate on this notion of conflict, accountability, compassion. Why does this matter to you? What, you know, like, what questions have you been trying to answer? What got you sucked into this mode? Wow, good question. This this really has been a lifelong journey for me. And I grew up around a lot of conflict and a lot of drama. My parents were missionaries, and so I grew up in Africa, son of a missionary kid, not unlike being 
you know, son of maybe a military kid. And we lived in uh, Zaire, which is now the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo and also Botswana during the 1980s when uh, apartheid was still the, the regime in South Africa. So I've been around a lot of conflict and also really always was passionate about finding, are there better ways to deal with differences and different disagreements? And how do we work through these conflicts in ways that generate something amazing and productive and values the human being in the process? Fascinating. I can now. I want to ask you a hundred questions about that because the few people that I know and have talked to who were in South Africa um, at the time that apartheid ended, and they go into a completely different government, the stories they tell about the levels of compassion that were shown are kind of astounding to me. And if you don't know anything about that history, maybe you were shocked too. But I remember a senior exec saying to me that he was on the streets with his car on the day that, you know, Mandela is elected and he couldn't drive. And so he just had to abandon his car. And he thought, well, there's the end of that car. Like, goodbye, good luck. I'm in the wrong side of town. This is it. And he said people came, you know, blacks came over to him and said, we'll look after it and did. Which, you know, that kind of compassion is just sort of astounding. Was that your experience as well? No, that was not my experience because I wasn't there during that time. I was there before that. And so my experience was I lived in Botswana, which which bordered uh, South Africa. And in Botswana at the time, it was the only functioning black democracy in Africa at the time. So incredible respect and dignity and compassion in that culture um, shown towards people. Um, but not the same when I crossed the border. Uh-huh. And so so my parents were with a Mennonite church. People that maybe don't know about Mennonites, uh, one of the things we're known for is is nonviolent conflict resolution and, and really wanting to bring peace, but not just kind of turn the other cheek peace, but very active, active engagement with people around finding solutions in a spirit of dignity. So that's what we were after, but it was a very difficult time for us. Okay. I can imagine. I can only imagine. All right. So let's dig down to, into the sort of the things that you've learned and pulled out of this one. I'm going to start this by saying my, my personal belief that the teams that learn to do conflict well are the teams that will win. And we'll come back to talk about this and talk about this in terms of inclusive culture. But let's drill down on this notion about compassion because I know compassion is your core message. What does that mean to you and why is that so core? Yeah. Well, compassion, my, my understanding of that word has changed dramatically over the years as I've studied behavioral psychology, social-emotional intelligence, conflict theory, and done just tons of work with hundreds of leaders that are going trying to become those teams that you talk about, the winning teams that can do conflict. And a couple myths about compassion that I've discovered along the way. First of all, compassion is not just being nice and kind. It's a difficult, courageous journey with people. Um, compassion is not just, you know, my heart goes out to you and I want to donate to your cause. Or, you know, we, we see these magnanimous, magnanimous examples of, of selfless giving. You know, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, these. It's like that is not the full definition of compassion. So compassion really is a difficult, challenging process of how we are with each other during difficulty. Um, that I've that I've come to come come to believe, and if you go to the Latin root of the word compassion, it means with suffer, 
calm means with or alongside and passion means suffer or struggle. So when those blacks are taking care of the car on the street, they're saying, we're going to struggle with you through this. Um, and so that's really what compassion is, is not struggling for somebody or taking away the suffering or, or somehow making it go away. It's about walking together through the suffering. So what does that look like? And let's take it out of apartheid because that's a special place and yeah. put it into sort of a work context. When I'm yeah. trying to show compassion to somebody, I'm suffering with them. What, what, give me an example. What does that look like? Well, it starts with recognizing that everyone is 100% responsible for their feelings, their thoughts, and their actions. It doesn't matter whether we're suffering or not suffering, whether we're going through hard times or not. We are 100% responsible for those things. So it means going into a situation with someone recognizing their autonomy and our autonomy and our interdependence. So if I'm wanting to support someone who's struggling, maybe they're suffering through something, I don't go in trying to make that feeling go away. I go in valuing that feeling, validating that experience and being with them in that towards whatever, you know, however we want to work on that. Um, so that's one of the, the simplest things we can do is right off the bat when someone's suffering, your job is not to make it go away. Your job is not to demean it or somehow say that it's not okay for you to be having a hard time. Your job is to join, be with them in that. Those are such easy words to say, Nate, and such difficult ones to do because we all kind of want to take away the pain in some ways. It's Mm -hmm. a natural instinct. Even if I care about you, I don't want to see you in such pain. And so I want to do anything I can to kind of help. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it leads us down to telling people what to do or saying things like, oh, it'll be fine. You'll do great or whatever else is there. Yeah. And we inadvertently undermine someone's own self self-autonomy, their own value of their own feelings when we try to un, you know, make them go away like there's something wrong with them. And that's just about our discomfort. Okay. So what do we say instead? I see someone on my team suffering, struggling with yep. something. Yep. I recognize that they're struggling. I may think they should or they shouldn't. That's irrelevant. What do I mm-hmm. say to them? Well, it's more than just one thing, but the first thing you say is the most important. Okay. And when someone comes to us and they disclose or share with us that they're going through something, they're struggling, maybe they say, man, I'm really sad about the diagnosis. You know, a relative of mine just got diagnosed with something with, with cancer and I'm really, really struggling with this. The first thing we do is we either validate their feelings by saying something like, gosh, it is okay to be scared and angry at a time like this. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly normal. Or... Maybe we can empathize. Maybe we have been through something similar and we can say, gosh, you know, I'm not going through what you're going through, but I can relate. I've lost someone important to me or I've, I've received really horrible news. So I think validating is the way we say your feelings matter and empathy is the way we say you're not alone. Ah, I like that. Validating is a way of saying your feelings matter and empathy is a saying you're not alone. Okay. I can imagine in a work context where somebody comes, you know, with a great relationship with a manager. Mm -hmm. Someone comes to me as a manager and says, geez, Wanda, I am really scared about this presentation that's coming up. Yep. Um, And their, you know, their imposter syndrome is creeping in, like I don't want to let you down or some version of that one. And it's at that moment that I want to say, it's okay to be nervous or it's okay to be scared and then yes, we all feel that at times. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And that doesn't change the fact that that person is still 100% responsible for what they do next, and they still have to do the presentation. So very often, we want to go in and try to somehow fix it. And that's where leaders fall off the rails, is we either don't support our people enough and leave them out to struggle alone, or we try to take it over and undermine their own capability, their own accountability in the process. So the next thing we say after, oh, man, that, you know, it's okay to be scared. I've been there. The next thing we say is, would you like any support? Or is there anything I can do to help? We don't swoop in with unsolicited advice or unsolicited solutions because that's not our job. Our job is to be a resource, but not rescue them. Right, right. So what's so wrong with rescuing? I think most managers feel like they do their job when they rescue. It's a good feeling to rescue somebody. Oh, yeah. And rescuing is actually lifted up. We promote people for rescuing. Um, But let me give it another name and see if it helps answer your question. Rescuing is non-consensual helping. Ooh, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, have you ever heard non-consensual used in other contexts? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And I mean it to feel like an ouch because when we help someone without their consent, without their permission, without their participation, we are crossing a boundary Mm -hmm. of self-determination. We are crossing a boundary of capability and we are sending the message that you, I don't believe you're capable So I'm going to swoop in for you. Now, there's a lot of other ways that we can help people through things and help people develop their own capability and autonomy. But rescuing and being the one with the solution and being the one that's always the smart one coming in um, is, is the worst thing that leaders can do if they really want to build successful teams. Interesting. 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 I know a lot of people will say to me, Wanda, I don't want to go ask my boss or my mentor for advice on this particular problem, because if I do, they're going to tell me something to do. And if I don't do it, then I'm in trouble. So it's not just I can use you as a sounding board. It becomes now I have to do what you told me to do or else I'm in trouble. That's a rescue effort. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because just because I go ask for help or just because I offer support doesn't change my accountability. So a lot of times, uh, maybe subordinates think if I go ask my, le- my leader, my supervisor for support or help or something, they think I'm weak or they think I'm incapable. They don't think I don't want to step up, which leads to the next most important part of the conversation, which is the accountability part. We can't just say, I'm struggling. Can I have some help? We also have to say, and remember, I am committed to this, or I do know what's most important, and you can count on me for X, Y, Z. Um, And I think that's where it's really, that's where we get into kind of our full model of compassion includes not just the affective side and not just the problem solving, but also the behavioral accountability. Right. It's an interesting one. This notion of is it's okay to ask for help, particularly as I work with underrepresented groups, women and minorities of various Mm -hmm. forms, Mm -hmm. I find they struggle more with this than people who are sort of of the dominant style. Yeah. So I think if you're of the dominant group, you see other people asking for help and it doesn't feel like you stand out so much. If you're a minority, everything you do is like on a radar screen everywhere yeah. for people yeah. to comment on. And I know they struggle with this. How, is it okay yeah. to ask? All right. Yeah. Let's talk. I want to, we've talked about accountability. We've talked a little bit about how they go together. I want to ask this question of how do I hold people accountable? Like sometimes you want to push your team hard. You want them to reach further than they would naturally reach. And I don't want to let them off the hook. Sometimes they say you want to hold their feet to the fire just a little bit longer. 
But yeah. they don't want to do that in a way that comes across as not having compassion. So where's the balancing act in this? How do I do both of these together? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up. This is kind of on front of mind for me. I spent um, I spent two straight days, Monday and Tuesday of this week, with a, a team of leaders just on that topic, pretty much, uh, in a master class. And there's there's three important components and and to doing this. I think leaders ultimately just have three roles, three jobs: create a safe place for people mm-hmm. to to give their whole being, create a curious place where they can explore and learn and grow and create a consistent place where they know exactly what's to expect and what's going on. So I think that part is really where a lot of leaders get, get, get squirrely is they either don't clarify the expectations and boundaries well enough, or they go overboard and try to bring the hammer down and scare people into performing. And I think there's a fine balance between if you stop rescuing your people and instead engage them in being owners of the solution coupled with getting really clear about the boundaries about the expectations about the consequences for not meeting those when and if you do that in a safe emotional place that's when people really start stepping up interesting i've never heard of this said this way and i love it a safe place so i can say what's really on my mind what i'm really thinking i can feel like i can represent myself a curious place where it's okay to ask the questions, okay to explore, and that encourages learning, also innovation. And then a consistent place where I know what the boundaries are, I know what the rules are, I know what the expectations are. I know what you're looking from for me as a manager, how I'm going to be evaluated yeah. in some ways. Okay. No, that's well well said. And those three is what epitomizes the most innovative cultures. And when one or more is missing, it's very predictable what happens in the organization. Okay. Yeah. And is that what also drives for performance? When you look at teams that are just cranking out the results, you see the same three? Yeah, absolutely. We, we see all three. And if one is missing, the results are predictable. Okay. Compromised. Okay. Yeah. There's really three right. kinds of cultures based on whether one of those might be missing from the mix. Oh, my. Okay, great. An unsafe culture, a non-inquisitive culture, and an anything goes around here culture. Did I get that straight? Yep. yep. <laughs> I can see how that, I've seen those. I recognize those in great form. All right, so now let's move this into talking about this thing called drama. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a hundred stories of drama, don't we all, where it just goes blah. So, you know, you have a a wonderful way of talking about drama. So tell me how you think about drama. And I want to hear about this triangle bit thing. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Well, drama is a real thing. We all feel it in our gut. We feel it all over in our bodies. We know it drains us like crazy. We know that drama distracts us from our our what we really want to get done and it is seductive and it is sexy and, and we just can't not do it, mm-hmm. but it's, but it's an understandable phenomenon and, and, and we can understand it by um, this, this framework called the drama triangle. And it was originally conceptualized by Dr. Stephen Cartman, a psychiatrist, but he identified three predictable roles that people play when things go sideways um, one role is the role of the persecutor, which um, when drama comes, they go attacking. It's your fault. Nobody ever does anything around here. If you just believed right, we wouldn't have all these problems. Um, and then there's another role called the victim, which is the one that automatically puts themselves down. Oh, it's probably me. I shouldn't have said that. I'll just pack my boxes before you fire me. I knew I'd never amount to anything. 
And then there's a third role, and it's called the rescuer. And the rescuer loves to come in and fix everybody else's problems. They want to be the, you know, the, the, the shiny, the white horse, shiny knight, or the white knight, shiny right. horse, whatever. They love to come riding in because they're a solution looking for a problem. And that's how they boost their ego. That's how they get their identity is from being the fixer. Um, and so when the victim and the persecutor are going at it, the rescuer has a full-time job which right. is to go give unsolicited advice to try to fix everyone else's problems. Those three roles need each other and they go back and forth in every boardroom, every, every um, break room um, on the internet, on social media. It's just, it, it runs rampant and it all, the only purpose of drama is to feel justified. There is no positive outcome. Um, so something went wrong that I didn't think should have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to feel justified in saying whatever, and I can take any one of the three roles, and I can say, you, Nate, we're the cause of this, and then I've taken the persecutor role, and we're off to the races. Okay, now, it strikes me really clearly that a lot of people are now um, constantly saying that person's a bully. Uh They're being a bit bit like a bully, and most of the time, they're overusing the word bully, in my personal, professional Uh opinion. What I think yeah. people are describing is they've just taken the persecutor role. Yeah, yeah. They play and it too often. We hear that all the time. We're, we're, bec- we're coming very ultra sensitive to our language and how we talk to each other and how, how we are with each other. And I think there's a very fine line between persecuting, which is saying things from a place of, I'm okay, you're not okay. That's mm-hmm. the attitude behind the words. And we don't have to raise our voice to say that. You know, I could just mutter under my breath, well, that's the last time I trust you. Right. Um, yeah. But there's, but, but there's also a healthy alternative, which is how are we assertive? How do we set boundaries? How do we declare um, what our principles and priorities in a way that's not about who's okay? It's about behavior. And, and I think we, we've seen leaders really struggle with knowing that boundary and knowing how to deliver those conversations in the healthiest way. All right, so I'll bite on that one. How do I do that? When I want to set boundaries, I want to be assertive, appropriately assertive Mm -hmm. about my point of view or about the expectations I have for delivery or whatever, but I don't want to become the persecutor. Yeah. How do I see out of persecution? Compassion is is the mechanism for engaging conflict without casualties. And that's what you're asking about is how do we have those tough conversations in a way that preserves dignity, but also, but also respects boundaries. And so that is where we've identified three core competencies, three skills that are necessary. You have to be open, which is the safe part. You have to be resourceful, which is the curious part. And you have to be persistent, which is the consistent part. So you can't have a healthy boundary conversation unless you are open about how you're feeling Mm-hmm. unless you are curious about a potential solution to this and unless you're persistent about what matters and what's at stake. Okay. Um, so I might, I, I'll give you an example if, if you're interested. So let's say I, you've said something, I feel offended. I think it's inappropriate. Maybe I feel like you bullied me or maybe I feel like it was a sexist or racist or something. And I want to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. First thing I do is identify how I'm feeling. I might come and say, I'm feeling really uncomfortable about this conversation, really angry. Um, here's what I heard. Here's how I interpret it. That's the resourceful part. Mm-hmm. And what it, what's most important to me is that we talk to each other with respect. So will you please refrain from those kinds of conversations and jokes around me? 
Okay. And does that generally get a good response? 50% of the time we've noticed people will respond dramatically different the first time they hear that. It's called ORP, Open Resourceful Persistent. Okay. And after the second or third time, we persist. We don't, we don't quit if we don't get the response we want. About 80 or 90% of people will dramatically alter their response after three or four times that we, that we approach that way. Okay. All right. So there are a couple of elements of that that were kind of unique in what you described. So I'm setting a boundary for somebody that I'm saying this is not okay. And one is to say, this is how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Not this is how you made me feel. This is how I'm feeling. So it's what I say, take ownership for my own feelings about that one. And then you said, I've noticed that or something else that gave the resourceful piece. Mm-hmm. in that one. So I'm making some observations. I'm yep. not attacking. I'm not saying you are anything. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I've seen. Or you clearly wanted to hurt me. Yeah. I'm not assuming any intentions. Yep. No intentions. No judgments in that mm-hmm. either, by the way. Mm-hmm. I always say to people, if you put the word you followed by an adjective, you're in deep trouble. Don't yep. do it. <laughs> Even with the word are in between. So it has to be, I've seen you doing, observed you doing. Mm-hmm. And then a statement of that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about not okay, it's not advice on what I want you to do differently, which tips into the rescuer or the offensive mode is just a straight up statement on that's not okay with me. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but it engages the conflict with compassion rules so that the conflict now can become a creative force because now we're in a conversation and we have opportunities to talk about what will we do differently? What do you want to do? How did you understand that situation and what matters to you? Um, So this is just the beginning of the conversation, but it's an amazing door opener. Yeah. Especially if you're then open for people to say to you, wait, I don't understand. And you're willing to talk about it. Or if I did this, would that work? Or or also helpful conversations. But that also comes with a good deal of compassion that I'm willing to walk through at all with you on both sides of the equation. Struggle with. with. Okay. All right. I get where this is going. I'm going to go back to this concept about drama for just a minute. Um, Here I am sitting watching drama, and you said drama has the purpose of leaving people feeling justified. You also say that drama is conflict. What's your statement about this one? I've lost the misuse of conflict energy. Misuse of conflict energy. What do you mean by that? It's the misuse of conflict energy. Yeah. Well, here's the here's our our definition of drama. Drama is what happens when people misuse the energy of conflict to feel just, to struggle against themselves or each other to feel justified about their behavior. So break it down really quick. There's conflict, conflict produces energy. That's not good or bad. It's what we do with the energy. If we take that energy and start an adversarial process of of struggling against ourselves or each other, it can be internal too. What are we struggling for? Well, now our modus operandi is to feel justified. That's our goal. And so now we can do all kinds of nasty behaviors to each other under the guise of, well, justified. you deserved it, or I'm a loser, or see, I was just trying to help. Um, and that makes it all okay. So we can mis- abuse each other and sleep at night. Ah, uh, boy, does that put a pointer on abuse each other and still sleep at night. That would sort of stop you up short, I think. So conflict produces energy. Mm-hmm. Question is, what do we do with it? Do we channel yeah. it for a creative solution? Do we channel it for an understanding and compassion? Or do we channel it in a more negative direction? And drama is the misuse of that 
conflict energy when we struggle against ourselves or each other, and then we're seeking to be justified in our feelings of it's you or me, or I'll just swoop in and help. Okay. I get it. So can I observe this drama and not be one of the three in the triangle, the rescuer, the persecutor, or the victim? Absolutely. You can. And, it's, it's easy to spot when you know what to look for. And the good news is drama is just roles we play. It's not who we are. Okay. All right. So I'm observing it. Can, what do I do in observing it that's going to be constructive? Or can I do anything? Is it really stuck between the three roles? Absolutely not. Um, first thing to do is, is for us to not be part of the problem. So for us to not play a complementary role. Because uh, because drama loves drama and triangles, you know, they love triangles. Hate a vacuum. Nature hates a yeah. vacuum. So just don't be part of the problem. And then compassion and compassionate accountability is the framework for harnessing that energy and moving it in another direction. Kind of like jujitsu, where we we we're not trying to get rid of the energy or the conflict. We're just moving it in a new direction to create okay. instead of destroy. Okay. So if I've understood this correctly, then I'm back to the three basics, which is as an individual, I want to be open, creating a safe environment around me. I want to be resourceful, creating a sense of curiosity that it's okay to do things. And I want to be persistent on what's okay, not okay, expected, not perspected in order to provide a consistent environment. That's what's going to drive a compassionate accountability and keep me, hopefully, out of the drama triangle, not wedding one and the other. What yes. I find fascinating in organizations, it doesn't always play out in teams, but it'll play out in the extended team, the larger group. I get one drama triangle going in one place. And then somebody either from that triangle or watching that triangle spins off their own separate drama triangle about what happened. And we can have four or five of these going, then unpacking what's the source, the real conflict becomes a huge problem. That's called drama allies and drama adversaries. And that is the root of all gossip and sabotage (laughs) is drama, drama roles looking for allies and adversaries. Oh, wow. Allies and adversaries. Okay. Well, we, have, we have to find other drama roles to justify because that's the goal. The goal is not to be effective or solve the problem or, or do a good job. It's to be justified. Allies and adversaries who are either going to, oh, I play, see this all the time, yep. who are either going to justify for me and tell me I was right or tell me I was wrong and then that justifies I was right. And then right we can fight. Right. Yep. Then we can fight. Right. Okay. I've often said of people that, you know, some people just have this energy in them that they have to have somewhere to discharge all this negative energy. And they almost like play a tag your it game. You know, if you're there and you're a part of it and I'm going to discharge this energy and I'm going to tag you. And if you don't get aren't careful in your response, suddenly I now know you're into a drama triangle where you're playing into that negative energy. And then I feel justified. Somebody else feels justified and we're off to years worth. Okay, Nate, this is a perfect place to take a break. So my guest today is Nate Regeer. He's the founder and owner of Next Element Consulting, the author of three books. As you can tell, we've been talking about the first one, Beyond Drama, Transcending Energy, Vampires, um, Transcending Energy, Vampires. I want to come back to talk a little bit more about the second one, which is Conflict Without Casualties. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Nate Regeer. The books we've been talking about are Beyond Drama, Transcending Energy Vampires, as well as Conflict Without Casualties, um, a field guide for leading with compassionate accountability. I should mention also that uh, Nate has a great podcast on his own called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. The important point about this one, if I summarize it, is that compassion is the linchpin to get us both into accountability without drama and to be able to take some of that conflict and put it into a more positive, productive space. And compassion comes with three pieces to it. One is creating, being open myself and creating a safe place. Two is a sense of resourcefulness and creating a curious place. And the third one is uh, persistence 
creating a consistent place so people know what to expect, what the rules are, what the boundaries, what's okay with me and what's not okay with me. The other secret to this is to stay out of the drama, not playing into it wittingly or accidentally as either a persecutor, a victim, or um, a rescuer, or becoming an adversary Mm -hmm. or an ally in the drama triangle that has already been created. And it just this conversation about drama, Nate, just reminds me how much time I spend with coaching clients on unpacking, unwinding, rebuilding, reconnecting, re something or another from drama. Mm -hmm. I think when people call me and say, I can't cope, 90% of the time, it's around some drama that has pushed them over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, you started this with conflict can create energy or it can be positive energy or it can create negative energy. And it's usually the negative energy that creates the drama and we justify ourselves in doing that. Mm. But when is conflict good? Yeah, conflict is good when we leverage that energy through compassion. And conflict is really simple. It's just a gap between what I want and what I'm experiencing at any point in time doesn't mean it's easy, but that's what it is. You know, maybe I want to be at work at eight and the line at Starbucks has 15 cars in front of it and the barista's sick. We got a gap. There's energy <laughs> in that gap. And the real question is, what am I going to do with that energy? And how am I going to, I can, I can become irresponsible in drama or, or take responsibility and compassion. So compassion means we take that energy and we harness it through openness, resourcefulness, and persistence. Like you, like you said, there's emotional energy in that gap. How are we feeling about this? I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling, maybe I'm feeling really scared because I am the first person presenting at the staff meeting at eight o'clock. Um, I'm feeling embarrassed because I should have, you know, I sh- I'm kicking myself. I should have been there. That's energy. And we need to own that energy and talk about it and claim it because those are our emotions. Um, Then at resourcefulness, there's energy in problem solving. What do we want? What do we need to know? What are we going to do next? What's what's going on here? How are we going to deal with this? Um, And then there's energy at persistence, which is what is the principle? What are the boundaries? What's going on here? You know, what am I responsible for? Who am I accountable to? What promises and commitments have I made here that are at stake? Um, and so all three of those are places where we can put that energy to good use to create something amazing instead of going to drama. It's a very, I, it's a very simple model. And I don't mean simple as in simplistic. I mean, simple as in important, useful to say that when I'm faced with conflict, first I have to recognize that feeling in myself, almost the autonomic nervous system feeling that I have. Yeah. And we're good at just rushing to action without pausing to say, whoa, 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 whoa what's really happening here? Yeah. Um, and I, certainly we know that when we see that in leaders, when we put them in this state of a gap, as you said, between what they want and the experience of what they're having, if they're not careful, that's the moment when their derailer side, their dark mm-hmm. side really comes rushing in and they yeah. say the thing they shouldn't say or whatever. So instead, it's to tune into three specific things. And it almost sounds like it goes in a pattern, one, two, three. Mm -hmm. One is this openness. What am I feeling? 
what is this energy? What is this really about? So I'm asking myself, what am I really yeah. feeling? Not I'm just mad at you. That's the surface level. Yeah. What am I really yeah. feeling underneath that? Then yeah. the second is the resourcefulness, the problem solving. What are we going to do? What are my options? What can I do? What are the consequences? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And then persistent is what are the principles, mm-hmm. the boundaries. How do we do yeah. this again? Okay. Yeah. All right. Now, conflict clearly becomes a problem. It becomes negative, destructive when we trip into drama. Are there other places where conflict becomes harmful? Other ways? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Because let's let's say that whenever there's conflict, I take the victim role. I just suck it up. I take it on the chin. I don't speak up. I just I just suffer in silence. Well, I'm not hurting anybody around me really, but I'm hurting myself. I'm hurting my relationships. I'm I'm not giving my best self anymore. I might be hurting mentally, physically at this point. I may be f- not delivering because I'm not asserting myself. So even when people every role has its damaging consequences on people. But no, I I don't I don't see where con- I'm not seeing where conflict dealt with through compassion. Um, is destructive. All right. So this would say that if I wanted to be better at conflict, I need to focus not on the process of conflict, but on the process of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and compassion is, is the, the mechanism. It's the lever for how we use conflict energy. Okay. To make it something amazing. It's like electricity. We can, we can electrocute with it or we can run our whole house. And it's just about the mechanism with how we use it. Okay. That makes sense. So how do I use it? With compassion. So I lean into my compassion. And then that means I am suffering with. I'm going journeying with you in the open, resourceful, and persistent ways that we've said. But that still may not get us to a place where we agree on what needs to happen or not happen. Now what? How do I then deal with conflict? Well, I think uh, this, you, you said it's simple, but it's not easy. It's, we would call it elegant. We've spent 15 years trying to distill down what is the only most important stuff to worry about. Mm-hmm. And it's open, resourceful, persistent, ORP. And we actually have a formula called ORPO, start and end it open, because safety and, and human value is always job number one. It's always the last job. So... You can't do the hard work of, of conflict, negotiation, customer service, difficult conversations, unless you bookend it with openness. So ORPO is just a four-step process. And we can use that in everything from confronting a boundary to, neg- to managing an entire change process in an organization. Because this is, we've discovered this is how humans do compassion best. And this is how we thrive and unlock the, the potential in, in our differences and disagreements. So it's an ongoing process, just a way of being with each other. Okay, Nate, let me try this. Suppose I'm working with somebody and let's make it a peer. So mm-hmm. we're collaborating, we're trying to produce some common results, but I yeah. can't do your work and you can't do my work and mm-hmm. we're sort of interdependent there a bit. Right. Okay, and I may have a little more at stake on the outcome than somebody else does, but okay, there we are. And we disagree about what should be done by a particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I don't want to play the drama role, meaning I don't want to be the persecutor or the victim or the rescuer. 
and I'm going to lean into this discussion with um, openness, resourcefulness, persistence, and then with openness again. I'm going to come back to all of that, as you rightly said, but I'm still not getting what I want out of the other person. Now what? Yeah, the first conversation would sound like this, maybe. I'm feeling really anxious about our progress. Um, We have... I'm getting more clear that we have different timelines and expectations for when this gets done and how it gets done. At the end of the day, why this matters so much for me is I'm up for a promotion and I'm putting a lot of stake in this project. Okay. Where are you at? How are you feeling about what's going on? Well, let's say they don't respond like, whatever, I don't care. It's my thing. Um, we do what's called tightening the cycle. We mm-hmm. tighten the ORPO next time around and everything gets a little bit more um, explicit. So the second time around, maybe we say, um, I'm, I, I care about how you're doing, maybe. And then we say, here's specifically what this is about for me. And then maybe at, at the second persistent, we say, this is what I'm willing to do and not to. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say we tighten it again the third time. This is where we talk about things like alternative options or consequences at persistent, like like, this is so important to me. Here's the steps I'm willing to take to get what I want. Um, or I'm willing to ask for a new partner on this project because it's so important to me to get this done. Um, or we start to say things like, I have some ideas on how to solve this if you're interested, not rescuing. Okay. Um, so it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and more explicit. But at the end of the day, we can't make anybody do anything. We can only conduct ourselves with compassion and take 100% responsibility for our stuff. All right. I like that idea because I often believe you can never get these things resolved in one conversation. It's a cycle around and a cycle around and a cycle around. And I learn new things each time if I'm genuinely willing to hear what the other person has to say. Okay. So tighten the circle. I come back at it again, a second time, third time, even a fourth time, making more explicit what's at stake for me and what I'm expecting and what I'm willing to do or what I'm willing to compromise on. All right. Fine. Now, Let's say we during this conversation and suddenly the person I'm talking to goes into being the persecutor. Yeah. Now I don't want to be the victim. Yeah. How do I stay out of that victim role? Well, the, the um, compassion accountability would say that when they go into persecute, it doesn't matter what role they go into. ORPO is still the best intervention, but at openness, then instead of maybe sharing our own feelings, maybe it's time to validate theirs and say, I can tell you're really upset and I can see how much this matters to you. Maybe at resourceful, then I say, I'm curious, what do I need to know about where you're at with this? What don't I know? What do you need to tell me? Because I see how important it is for you. And then maybe at persistent, instead of banging away on my own boundaries, I say something like, you know what? I'm really committed to making this work. And I want you to know how much I admire your passion on this. And then I go back to openness and say, I, I want to hear how you're doing. And now maybe they're going to tell us some things they never told us. Because us trying to practice this accountability with them has revealed some cracks or opened up some stuff that really needs to be talked about. And we've made it okay for them to do that. And now they might tell us some things that really are going to move the conversation forward. All right. So the secret is to go back to this compassion cycle, open resourcefulness, resistant, and recognizing that it takes a little shade of gray on each one of those by the circumstances and that I can tighten it in subsequent conversations. Mm -hmm. I like that. Um, and that those keep me from playing either the victim or the persecutor role. Um, and I think what happens also if somebody's trying to be a persecutor, then when I go into this compassionate talk, 
I'm not the one they can continue attacking. I haven't then given them anything to piggyback on and to keep going with. So they have to take that attack energy off to somebody else. At least it's not me in that moment in time. Is that your sense as well of what happens? It is. And it's way more than just extending an olive branch. That that's old school compassion. What we're really doing is saying, I'll make you a deal. I will trade you justification for dignity. I'm treating you with respect and dignity and giving you an opportunity to engage with me, showing your best self, not justifying and attacking me. A, I'm not taking the bait. So I'm not, I'm not giving you a reason to be justified, but I'm also giving you an alternative. We can't just take away justification without providing dignity. Um, And compassion reinforces three important things, which is humans are valuable, they're capable, and they're responsible. Mm -hmm. Every interaction has to reinforce that if we want people to get on board with us. Valuable, capable, and responsible. I love that one. Yeah, Yeah, my favorite three are very similar. Significant, competent, and liked to some degree. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally see it. There's variations on the same three yep. things with slightly different dices between what falls yep. in one camp or another. I like that one. Yeah. And ORPO, the formula, reinforces all three of those to be true. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. I like that one a huge amount. Trade justification for dignity. Okay. It one I've been doing um, recently more values exercises with people than I've done in decades. Uh, it's an old thing that's been around for a really long time, and I've gone back to it. And what is fascinating to me is how many people are now zeroing in on respect and dignity as one of their core central principles. And I don't think this is just because we're in a DEI era. I think it's that people are wanting a more sense of yeah. dignity and respect. Do you see the mm-hmm. same? I do. I really do. And they want it to be more than just tolerance and even more than just celebrating our differences. They really want, people want to be put to good use for who they are. They want to be leveraged and maximized. And I think that's a whole different skill set that compassion accountability can do is um, include, belong, leverage um, who we are. Right. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about this again in the, or a little bit deeper in the whole notion of the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, DEI, mm-hmm. if you've not mm-hmm. caught up with the acronyms that have just become popular. Yeah. Um, you say conflict is inherent in DEI. How so? <sighs> well, um, so I grew up in Africa. I grew up in parts of the world where diversity was evil, and the goal was to eliminate it. Mm-hmm. in humanity. But my firm core belief is that humans are created and built different on purpose. We are built to be different because it drives innovation. It drives, I mean, evolution wouldn't, evolution wouldn't occur without diversity. So diversity is in, in a built-in inherent purposeful part of the universe. It's awesome. Well, but it's, it's inevitable that if you're going to, if there's diversity, there's going to be conflict because we see things different. We do things different. We have different approaches. So if diversity is on purpose and part of the grand design, then conflict has to also be, it's also part of, of, so I like to say conflict is the energy source that is inherent. We were given it and it's the, it is the most plentiful energy source that we have as a function of our, our diversity. But 
where I, where I don't like a lot of DEI initiatives is they try to get rid of the conflict. Right. And that's the problem. The conflict is the source of energy. That's not the enemy. The enemy is the drama, not the conflict. So this is where we have to steward conflict through compassion to really, to really include people and really maximize the possibilities in DEI initiatives. I think good intentions, but it falls flat and, and we just we lose all the potential when we try to get rid of the conflict. So I think this is a perfect explanation. There's um, a, an old study done by Robin Eli and a bunch of colleagues that I am I may have quoted more than anybody else in the entire universe because it's fascinating to me. And they took teams of, um, this was in a bank, but it doesn't matter. They took teams for which we could measure performance. Mm -hmm. So I can know, is that team performing or not performing? And then we're going to take a measure of the diversity that's on the team. And they looked at both um, gender as well as ethnic diversity. And it's not, it's an all white team with black. It could be an all black team Mm -hmm. with a white person would have been the same level of lack of diversity. So we're looking for nice round of diversity. And then the question is, do the diverse teams perform better than the others? And the answer is sometimes and sometimes worse. And the sometimes perform better is when they have a thing called a learning culture, which for me is a place in which they are willing to say, here's what I think, here's how I think it. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it. If I put it in your language, what that means is we're allowing the conflict. We're not trying to silence it. And we're using it in a compassionate way as opposed to in a drama-like way. I couldn't agree more. And it's learning cultures are epitomized by safety, curiosity, and consistency. That's compassion. Safety, curiosity, and consistency. Nate, wow. Okay. And the next thing I'm going to say is when we have diversity on the team, watch for the drama. You've got to become a specialist at dampening down that drama if you're going to get the real power out of that team. Okay. So, and that takes us back to compassion. How do we be Mm -hmm. a compassionate leader? And I love it. Openness, resourcefulness, which is looking for creative ideas, clever solutions, alternative, other perspectives, and persistent. Persistent in what I need, what do I expect, what the boundaries are, what the conditions are, followed by openness again. Mm. Openness is about what I'm feeling as well as openness, I presume, to what the other person is feeling. Yeah. It reinforces that we are okay as human beings through this all. Okay. All right. O-R-P-O is the formula for this one. Fabulous. Okay, Nate, I think we've got like one minute left on this one. Um, I like to ask when I get a chance, what takes you out of your comfort zone and how do you go about managing that? Openness is my struggle. Openness in terms of really being emotionally present with people and valuing them emotionally. I'm a doer. I would much prefer to be resourceful and persistent all day long. I got no problem with boundaries, no problem with problem solving. It's being in the moment with people. And um, through COVID now, through all that we're going through, that's what people need most is simply a place that they can hurt and it's okay and we're still going to move forward together. Ah. Nicely said. 
Okay, Nate. I think this is fabulous. Thank you so much for being a guest today. I think the things that I take away, the two things that I take away, one is understanding this drama triangle, the persecutor, the victim, and the rescuer, and that rescuer is a problem, not a solution. (laughs) It's perpetuating the drama. Drama is the negative use of conflict energy, and compassion is how we get the positive benefit out of of, um, conflict. And that is openness, resourcefulness, persistence, and openness again. Oh, yes. That, Nate, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to have you on uh, on the show. The book, again, is Beyond Drama is one, and Conflict Without Casualties is two. And stay tuned, hopefully, for another appearance to talk about seeing people through. Unleash your leadership potential with the process communication model. And check Nate out in his podcast on compassion with Dr. Nate. Thanks, Nate. You are welcome. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. It's a pleasure, always. Um, Join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you'd like to know more about this or any of our other guests, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. We also greatly appreciate any ratings you give us on any of the servers you listen to the podcast. See you next week. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.